Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn with me uh, to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, not Daniel 1, but 1 Peter chapter 4, we're in this series called Culture Shock. And so it doesn't matter whether you um, get scripture off of a, an iPad, I do both, a phone, whatever, you can use version. Uh, if you're familiar with that app, you can get that app and uh, you can go to version, search on live event, Fellowship the Rockies, and then you click on that and all of the sermon notes and scriptures come up and then you can take your notes electronically if you're, if, if, if you're like a no paper person. And so, so you have that option as well. So 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 is where we're going to be today in this series, Culture Shock, and we're looking at this subject of why is this happening to me? Actually, we're looking at the question. There's a lot of times when we go through trials, when we go through difficulty, that the first thing we ask is, is, you know, what? I mean, what? Uh, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? And so remember, 1 Peter is writing to first century Christians who have, been going through, who have gone through all the steps of persecution uh, to where they were stereotyped, they were vilified, they were marginalized, criminalized, and then they're in the final stage of persecution. And so we've learned the different stages. Now listen, in America... Right now, Christians aren't being persecuted for their faith, but you can obviously make the strong case that in some cases they're being targeted, right? Uh, For sure, we know they've been stereotyped. We know they've been vilified. We know that they've been marginalized. In other words, we as Christians, we're pushing us to the margins of society, that we shouldn't be in people in influence and power and all those other things. But you can also make the case, just reading the news, that, um, that there are times that Christians are being targeted like this, the, the college shooting in, in Oregon. Uh, New York Post said it was obvious from eyewitness reports that Christians were, were targeted by the gunmen. Testimony after testimony after testimony. Uh, we know that Christians were, be tar- were, were being targeted. And you don't have America, you don't have, you don't have officials, you don't have anybody standing up and saying that's a hate crime or anything like that. Why? Because Christians have been marginalized. Christians have been pushed to the margins of society. It really doesn't matter. Uh, you can look at other cases in, um, in Louisiana at a high school. In Louisiana, a high school principal sends out an email to the students and to the parents as they started a new school year. And in the closing of the email, the, he just made a statement. And he said, today is the first day of your future. May God bless you all. That's all he said. In conjunction with that, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, it is a student-based Christian group, uh, there in the school, felt initiated by God or felt like God was leading them. And so they had placed prayer boxes all over the school where students could take their prayer requests, put them in there, and the students would just pray for them. And it was changing the dynamics of, of the school. Well, as a result of those two things, the ACLU is now suing the school district uh, for separation of church and state and all these other things. Well, the school district has stood up and said, you know what, we're sick of it. We're just sick of it. We're like tired of it. We're tired of being intimidated. Uh, we're tired of the lawsuits. And, and we're not caving. And they says, not only what, what about this, what really upsets us is this lawsuit was not generated from anyone internal. This lawsuit was not generated from a student in our school, was not generated from a parent in our school, was not generated from someone in, the, in our community. Fact is, you guys have been trolling. You have been looking for cases like this, and you're targeting us, and we're just sick of it. We're just totally sick of it. There's the, uh, the sheriff in, in Polk County in the great state of Texas. Um, <laughs> I know you guys still hate it that I'm from Texas. I mean, I know that. And, 
And so this, this, this sheriff uh, was, because of some, some of the things that are going on in society right now, and it's just tough to be in law enforcement, um, he was at a convention and he saw a bumper sticker, In God We Trust. So he just simply took that bumper sticker, placed it on his patrol car, In God We Trust. Some other officers saw that, who, who works for him, and says, how could we get that sticker? And so he ordered a bunch of them, and it was voluntary. And so people just grabbed the sticker, put it on their cars, and now they're being sued. And so the sheriff is like, this is craziness. He says, after all, In God We Trust, that slogan, it's on our money. I mean, it's on our money. And he said, not only that, he said, not only that, it's all over Washington, D.C. And so we can make the case that, that obviously we're not being persecuted, but we are being marginalized, or we are in cases being targeted. And so Simon Peter is writing, and I just think his writings just apply to our lives so deeply in this series called Culture Shock that a lot of times we can see some of these things, and so if you're not careful, you can be shocked. And Simon Peter is trying to help us to understand, instead of asking why is this happening to us, for us to understand why it's happening to us, to us to understand that some of this is predictable, that some of this is normative when you live counter-cultural lives. And so, so here's what he writes. He's writing to these groups of, of Christians that, that when they're going through difficult times, when they're going through marginalization or any of those other things, he writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Beloved, his first thing he says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. In other words, this just isn't any trial. This is a painful trial. This is a trial that's going to leave some scars. This is, this is a trial. When, when they use the word fiery trial, it's a painful trial. When it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, then you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. God's glory rest on you and God's glory rest on me when we go through painful trials and we react appropriately. And he goes on, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is a time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will, it, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, that's important, that's key, that we suffer according to God's will, and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so Simon Peter gives the church, gives us five things that we should remember, five things that we should do, five things that we should be aware of when we go through those times where they were marginalized in a home, where they were marginalized in family, where they were insulted and made fun of at work or school or whatever, because we're living distinct lives. We're living different lives. And, and so he gives us five things. The first one is this. When you go through a painful trial, the first thing he says is, do not be surprised in other words he acts like this is like normative this is like something that's normal for the believer in other words like he, he, he said this is like predictable he goes on and he says beloved so when he uses that word beloved we know he's talking to christians he says do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you in other words what he says when this happens don't be shocked man in other words this is predictable now, there's some things in my home, and maybe there's some things in your home that are predictable. Just a little bit of a glimpse into the Jones household. Uh, every, my wife, uh, my wife likes to decorate seasonally. 
I mean, like when a new season comes, I don't have to wait for the leaves to turn. I don't have to. I just wait for the decorations in my house to turn uh, because they usually turn before the leaves turn. It usually changes. And so uh, and some of it is because we came from Texas. In Texas, we like have four seasons of summer, <laughs> like barely summer, almost summer, really summer and next summer. I mean, it's just like all summer. <laughs> and so here, what's awesome is we got like seasons and so just something about me, I hate scarecrows. I just hate them. I think they're creepy. And uh, I do. I don't know if it's something that happened to me in childhood or whatever, Wizard of Oz or whatever, but the scarecrow just kind of creeps me out. And so, but my wife for fall, she has this five-foot scarecrow. Yeah, and it's just creepy. I'm going to bring, I should have shot a picture and brought it. But anyway, it's creepy. And because he's in overalls and all this other stuff. And so he's like five foot tall. She puts him on the porch of our house and he sits on a bell of hay. So I never come through the front door in fall. And so, uh, <laughs> and so every fall before she puts out decorations, she thinks it's funny to place the scarecrow somewhere in the house to scare me. And so, so Saturday night, before Saturday night church, I took a shower as I normally do. I'm coming out of the bathroom into our bedroom, and yeah, I'm feeling kind of vulnerable. I just got a towel on. And so I'm coming into the bedroom, and she had taken this five-foot scarecrow and put it on the edge of our bed and set it so it was looking me right in the eyes. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I screamed like a high school cheerleader. I mean, I screamed like a girl. And so Karen was down the hall in another bedroom because she wanted to hear the scream. And I could hear her laughing hysterically. And she's like, every year, every year I put this, this scarecrow out. And every year you scream like a girl. And so, so, and I shouldn't be surprised. And so what Simon Peter is saying is, that, hey, when this stuff happens, there's some things that you shouldn't be surprised about. Don't let it frighten you when you're insulted or, 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 or you're persecuted or you're marginalized. Don't be caught off guard. In other words, understand it's normative be prepared. I mean, when you look at this issue of being a Christ follower, Jesus was very realistic about what it took to follow him. I mean, Jesus, it, sometimes in the gospel, it's amazing. It's like Jesus would talk, try to talk people out of following him. He'd say, you know what? Before you follow me, count the cost. Count the cost. Those of you that are here this morning, you're, you're just like trying to investigate the claims of Christianity and Christ and whether you should become a Christian or not, you need to hear this message. Being a Christian is not always a bed of roses. Being a believer in Christ, sometimes God leads you into a trial. Sometimes life doesn't always end up the way that we had dreamed it would. And Jesus said, if, if you're going to follow me and you're really going to follow me, you're really going to be my disciple... You better count the cost because you're going to live countercultural lives if you're really my follower. And as a result of that, people are going to marginalize you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to, they're going to insult you. Jesus said this in John 15, 20. He said, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll, they're, all, they're going to persecute you. Not maybe, not if. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. I mean, we know this, right? Did, did they persecute Jesus? Absolutely. And he says, you know what? If they did it to me, they're, they're going to do it to you. There's a myth in 
prosperity gospel, and I know it builds great big churches and sells a lot of books, and people make a lot of money about this prosperity gospel stuff that that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise, and like you never have a problem in your life, and that's just simply not true. I mean, I always ask myself when I hear this stuff preached: Did they not? Did they not read First Peter chapter four? Did they not study the life of Christ? I mean, when when. There's this thought that as long as your life is in the will of God, that you'll, you'll, live, a, like, you'll live like a, a great life and no struggles and no pain. And, but Jesus was perfect, right? He who knew no sin became sin for us. And they crucified him. They persecuted him. And the fact is, the scripture teaches us that, that, that once we become a follower of Christ, we become an, an enemy of Satan. Ephesians 6.12 says, for we do not wrestle. I think that's how you guys say it. <laughs> that's a hard word for a Texan. I've been working on that word to wrestle. Uh, <laughs> against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so the Bible says that Satan, the devil, is accuser of the brethren. In other words, he's always accusing Christians. We know theologically that Satan would like to hurt God, but Satan cannot hurt God. And so he does the next best thing, and he hurts his children. I'm telling you, all of, our par- all of the parents in this room, we could probably give the same testimony, and we could say, you know what, we all line up with this statement. And you can do a lot of things to me. I can take a lot of criticism. I can take a lot of hurt. And I can take a lot of pain. But one thing I cannot take is do not hurt my children. Man, don't, if you want to hurt me, you hurt my girls. I do not like to see someone mistreat my girls. I do not like to see someone hurt my girls. And, and, and this is the same. Satan cannot hurt God. But one of the ways that he gets to God and one of the ways that he hurts God is he hurts his children. The first thing he tells us is, is do not be surprised. The second thing is this. Is he says, do not have a, a negative attitude. I mean, when you go through po- painful trials, when you go through difficulty, do not have a negative attitude. In other words, it's just a poor testimony. It's a poor testimony to walk through trials when we have all the claims of Christ, when we have all the promises of Scripture, to where all of a sudden we just have this negative attitude. First uh, Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice. That's an important word, rejoice. He doesn't say enjoy. There's a difference between rejoice and, re- and, and enjoy. And he says that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So, so let's, just, let's just track through this. So Simon Peter says that when we go through pain, painful, painful trials, when we go through difficulty, we don't enjoy it. See, the definition of enjoyment is this, is to get pleasure out of something. I mean, every once in a while, I'll meet some Christians, and it, it, it's just kind of strange to me, but they'll talk about some painful trial they're going to, and they're talking about, oh, I, I, just, I just enjoy it. And I'm like, really? Seriously? Seriously? We, are we being honest here? Are we being transparent here? See, he never said enjoy. You know what he said? He said rejoice. You know, the definition of rejoice is different than in, to enjoy something, to enjoy something, get pleasure at it. Rejoice is this. Rejoice is choose to be happy. I'm going to choose to be happy. I'm going to choose to rejoice. I'm going to choose to re- 
rejoice in the situation. In other words, I'm going to choose to have a positive attitude. And see, see, God never said that we're supposed to enjoy being stereotyped or vilified or being marginalized or being targeted or any of those things. But he, but he does say it's, it's our choice. Our, our attitude, your attitude, man, your attitude is, is your choice. And so Simon Peter helps us understand that there's a couple of times, a couple of reasons why we, we rejoice and why we have a positive attitude. One is, is because suffering draws me closer to God. I don't know if you're like me, but uh, there's something about suffering that kind of strips away everything else in life. And there's something about suffering that, that helps you to understand your deep need for God. And there's something about suffering that if you walk through it properly, draws you closer to God. Again, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. See, that word share uh, mean well, in the Greek, that word share is koinia. In other words, koinia in the Greek, the definition is, well, it's where we get our word fellowship. It means to have intimacy with. It means to have closeness with. It means to have commonness with. <coughs> in other words, it means this. That if you, if you suffer, it draws you closer to God and you share, you have koinia with him, you have intimacy with him, and it, it, it bonds you even closer to him. You know, if, if you've ever gone through a fiery trial, if you've ever gone through a crisis in life, doesn't it, doesn't it kind of bond you with those people that you walk through it with? There's a lot of, a lot of veterans uh, in our church and, and uh, we have a ministry geared directly to veterans. And when I have conversations with them, I've had a lot of conversations with some of our veterans in our church, and, and they always say the same thing. They'll, they'll start talking about the battlefield, and they'll talk about a, a fight they were in or a battle they were in and, and how horrendous it is and casualties and loss and all that other stuff. And then they always get around to where they, they look at you and say, you know what, those men and women that I served with, that I went through that with, and we were tight. Man, we trusted our lives to each other. We fought side by side. And we had this, we had this bond. We just had this bond. This lasted over a lifetime. Uh, my family right now, we're, we're going through a trial. We're going through a problem. And uh, I'm watching it bond our family together. See, our text messages look totally different right now. There's a lot of scripture that is being shared. I'm praying this verse, and I'm praying this verse, and I'm claiming this verse. There's a lot of prayer requests that are going back and forth. And there's this bonding that is happening over text messages of just prayers and just, just, just asking God to, to do some things. That's what Paul said in Philippians 3.10 when he says, I just want to know Christ. That, that know is koinia. I just want to have an intimacy with him. I just want to know him and fellowship of his sufferings. It's, listen, let me tell you something. This issue of koinia... It's deeper than just knowing some things about God. It's to really know God. I mean, it's one thing to know some facts about me. It's one thing to know some facts about you. But it's another thing to really know you. And what Paul is talking about is knowing God personally. Listen, there's a difference between knowing about God and truly knowing Him. To where you come to that place to where He's like a friend. It's this deep relationship to where you entrust your life to Him, to where you're obedient and you begin trying the best you can to line your life up with Him. Another thing about suffering, suffering means that God can be seen in my life. 
In other words, when you, when you and I go through a difficult time and we, we, we rejoice and, and we, we don't have a negative attitude, there's a testimony. Here, here's what I've learned in life. I don't know if you've learned this. I quit a long time telling people my problems. 20% of the people don't really care you have problems. And the other 80%, they're just glad you got them. <laughs> right? Okay, it kind of makes them feel better about themselves because, you know, I'm just kind of glad you got them. And so, so this the same thing. And so Simon Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rest on you. And so the reason that we can rejoice, the reason we keep a positive attitude when we go through painful trials is because it's, it's remembrance to us that God can be seen in our life. That's why Paul wrote, writes to Timothy and Paul tells Timothy, says, Timothy, everyone that wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. And so when people put you down for your faith, when people harass you for your faith, it just says, congratulations, because guess what? You're living a distinct life. People know there's a difference about you. People know that, 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 there's, that you are a Christ follower, that you follow him. Because in Christianity, let me just tell you this, there's no such thing as secret agents. And we're followers of Christ. People know that around us. I mean, Jesus said this, Mark chapter 8, 38, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will be the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with holy angels listen let me tell you something jesus christ was not ashamed of you to die for you don't be ashamed of him live for him he wasn't ashamed to go to the cross for you in your place he wasn't ashamed of you and as a result of that don't be ashamed for of him and live for him and that leads us into the third principle is this do not be ashamed in other words, come to that place to where you're not ashamed that you're a believer. You don't mind living a distinct life. Now, verse 16 again, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in, in that name. And so when you're, when you're marginalized or when you're put down uh, for your faith or when people make fun of you because you don't live life like they do, you don't make decisions like they do. And, and he says, just don't be ashamed of your faith. In other words, don't be intimidated by critics. Don't be intimidated by critical people. Don't be intimidated by negative people. Don't be in intimidated by, by cynics. And, and don't run from situations that put your faith on trial or faith tested. Because I'm telling you, there are, there are, there are non-believers watching you. And you know what they want to know? Is there really something different? Is there really something different for a Christ follower? Is there really something different in the life of a believer? I mean, we understand that, that our lives is a witness to those that, that, that come around us, and they want to know. I mean, I'm telling you, they want to know. Is your faith genuine? Does your walk match your, your talk? Do you, do you really believe this stuff? Is it just belief or conviction? I'm telling you, your convictions is what you live out. We can talk all day long about what we believe. You want to know what you believe? It's what you live out. You want to know what you believe? It's your convictions. It's, it's the things that you put in practice. And so they want to know, is your faith genuine? Listen, how you and I respond when we're personally attacked is a powerful witness. When we're attacked, whether it's in the office, whether it's in the school, whether it's in the neighborhood, whether it's in our family, the way in which you respond is a powerful witness. Listen, I'm telling you, the times that I have felt the closest to God 
are those times when I had all of the information and I know the decision that I, that I, that I made was the right decision. It was a godly decision. It was trusting him. And then as a result of that, people misjudged me. People criticized me. People talked about me. All of those other, it's in those times. And it is in those times that I felt so close to him. Listen, when he talks about this issue of suffering, he said, you suffer for, for doing God's will. In other words, in other words, in other words, we're not to suffer, or it's not godly suffering when we suffer because we're a jerk, or we suffer because we're obnoxious, or we suffer because we're judging other people. You know, he, what he's saying is this, is that when you suffer for doing God's will, in other words, this, don't blame God for your personal hang-ups. We all have them. Let's just be honest here. I have them. You have them. I'm scared of scarecrows. <laughs> We all have personal hang-ups, right? And one of the reasons Christians are being stereotyped is because of a group of Christians that are spreading hate, that are judgmental, that are mean, and saying we're just suffering for Christ. No. No. You suffer for doing God's will. And you, and you understand that as a Christian, in fact, is that term Christian, in, in the first century, uh, just a little bit of church history. The word Christian only appears in the Bible three times. Uh, it, it was developed under Nero when Nero was persecuting Christians, and, uh, and it doesn't have the same connotation that it does today. See, it was developed as a derogatory term. fact is it was an ethnic slur. It was a racial slur uh, to say Christian because what the definition of Christian was, you little Christ, you want to be. That's what it meant. It was not in the same connotation as today. And so if you suffer, what Paul says, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. There's so many times that Christians can be in circles and, and they can be with their girlfriends or they can be with, with, um, with their guy friends. I didn't want to say boyfriends. I don't, anyway, they, I don't even know how to say that. But when you're out with your friends and your friends are talking about some of, some of the things that they do. As a Christian, a lot of Christians will shrink and not say, you know what, I'd never treat my wife like that. I'd never treat my husband like that. As a husband, I'd never go to a place like that. I, I just wouldn't do that to my wife. It, 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 it is what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about not being ashamed of your faith, not being ashamed of your values, being willing just to speak up and say, you know what, that, that's not how I've chosen to live my life. That's, that's not me. See, see, it's easier sometimes for us to look spiritual in life group or in church or when we're around our Christian friends than to just simply follow Jesus, just simply take our life and line our life up with him. See, there's a, there's, there's a big difference in appearing to be spiritual than just being obedient. Listen, let me a little bit about little bit about me. I love the idea of exercise. <laughs> I really do. I love the idea of exercise. I love the idea of working out. I mean, I do. I love the idea 
of like being a gym rat and going to the gym and lifting weights and all that other stuff. I, I love the idea of a water rower and, and I walk past it all the time and, and I love the idea of a treadmill and I love the idea of a s- exercise and I love the idea of the benefits and all that. I love the idea, but I never exercise. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm in love with the idea. Can I just tell you this? There are a lot of people in love with the idea of being a Christian. I love the idea of being a Christian. But I don't really follow him. I don't really have a desire for his word. I don't really have a desire for obedience. I don't really have a desire to take my faith and put it in every area of my life. I'm just kind of in love with the idea of being a Christian. You know the hardest people to reach? Not the pagans. Not the people who have never been in church. You know who the hardest people to reach? As a pastor, I'm just telling. You know who the hardest people to reach? Cultural and congregational Christians. They're in love with the idea of being a Christian. It's just culture. I've just always been a Christian. I was born into a Christian home, and, and, um, and so as a result of that, I've always been a Christian. Listen, just because, you're, just, just because you're born at McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, right? <laughs> or I'm a congregational Christian. Just because I have a church membership somewhere, that makes me a Christian. I don't really follow him. I don't really take his word and apply it. I don't really live a distinct life. Fact is, the decisions I make in life are pretty much the same that everybody else makes. And so what the Bible is telling you, the Bible is saying you count the cost. That we're to be salt in life. We're to live distinct lives. We're to live different lives. It's not a matter of being perfect. It's a matter of this issue of following him. The fourth thing that he wants us to remember is this. Remember the name that you bear. But you're a child of God. First Peter chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Okay, so this phrase is so important, beyond all comparison. Okay, that's a comparative term. And here's what, Paul, here's what Simon Peter is talking about. He's talking about when we get to heaven, there's different levels of reward for believers. I am not talking about salvation. I'm talking about rewards. I'm talking about blessing. This life is in preparation for the life to come. And so when he says beyond comparison, what he's saying over and over in Scripture from Jesus' teaching from other Scripture is this, that in heaven there's different levels of rewards. For believers, when we get to heaven, God is not going to ask us how much was in your bank account. What kind of vacations did you get to go on? How many degrees did you have? How many plaques on the wall? What was your successes? And all that other stuff. He's not going to ask us any of that. You know what he's going to ask us? Let me see your scars. Did you follow me? Did you follow me? Were you obedient even when, even when there wasn't any encouragement from around you were you able to follow me whenever you found someone challenging you about your faith because you led a distinct and a different life did you stand for me or did anyone ever challenge you for your faith 
because you were such a chameleon, you were such a, you lived such a wishy-washy life that people really didn't know you were a believer or not. I never forget years back, this was years back, an individual, a man invited me to go to a sporting event with him. And so we go to this, we go to this game and uh, he had been coming to our church for like over a year. And so we're there and all of a sudden his work buddies were there. And so it's a little awkward. And so his work buddies are there. And so we're, we're talking. And so one of his work buddies looks at me and says, hey, how do, how do you know him? And I said, oh, I'm his pastor. And they died laughing hysterically. He goes, no, really, how do you know him? I go, no, no, he goes to our church. And they started laughing. He says, you never told us you went to church. You go to church? Is this some kind of a joke? Is this some kind of a prank? You don't go to, do you go to church? What what Simon Peter, what kind of life do you live? Is it a distinctive, different life? Because it says when we share in his suffering beyond all comparison. In other words, we're just exiles. We're just passing through. We're just temporary. The fifth and the last thing is this, is that we have to remember to commit our life to him daily. Remember to daily commit your life to God is what he tells us. uh, Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Suffer according, not because you're obnoxious, not because you're a jerk, But you suffer for being a Christian. Sometimes God leads us into these times for our development. He cares more. Listen, I'm telling you. He cares more about your character than your comfort. In this day of prosperity gospel, we'll have people that will tell us that, you know what, if you just have enough faith, right? If you, if you claim enough scripture, if you just have enough faith, you won't have any problems. Uh, there, there's a theological term for that. It's called baloney. <laughs> Hogwash is what we'd say in Texas. That's ridiculous. Obviously, they've never read 1 Peter chapter 4. There's a redemptive work in suffering for our growth. Just this morning, pastor's reception, met a lady and I spent time and prayed for her that a problem in her life led her back to church and, and to God. There's something redemptive about problems. There's, some, I'm t- there's something about suffering. It lets us know what we really believe and what we don't. It helps us know where we are in the faith. And God's word to you and God's word to me. If you're walking through a trial, not a lot of encouragement around you right now, God has something for you. And God's more interested in your character than your comfort. And God is developing something in you. That's one of the reasons, after years and hundreds of years and thousands of years, that the local church still, or part of a worship service, takes communion together. Our ushers, servers are going to make their way to the back as they prepare the 
the bread and the juice and they bring it down in just a few minutes. And as, as we're transitioning into that time, Scripture says this, says before we take of the bread and we take of the juice, that we're to examine our lives and to find out where we stand. It's not a time that we examine somebody else's life. It's a time when we examine our life. And so we always give you that opportunity. We always give you that time that we would just sit before him and we would just examine our lives and, and, and just ask him, man, where do we stand? What, 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 what is our next step? This is the time that we remember that Christ was not ashamed of us. In fact, as the scripture says, before we were, uh, while we were still sinners, that Christ went to the cross and died for us. So in just a few minutes, after the bread and the juice are going to be handed out, there's two cups, one on top of the other. So we're just going to ask that as the plate comes by, that you take both cups out, you hold them in place, we'll take of the bread, we'll take of the juice together in just a, just a few minutes. And I just want to remind you that this time um, is not reserved only for members of Fellowship of the Rockies. The fact is, this, this time is reserved for members of the body of Christ, people that know him and worship him. And so if you have a personal relationship with him, if you're a Christ follower, we invite you to take of the bread and take of the juice with us this morning. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, again, here's the words, and it just says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Would you examine your life as you sit before him, and then we'll take of the bread and juice together as a church family in just a few moments. Let me ask you, is you're just holding the elements. In one hand is, is the bread, and the other hand is, is the juice. The bread and the juice are symbolic of the body and the blood of, of Christ. There's nothing magic in this bread. There's nothing magic in this juice. It's just Welch's. So there's nothing magic in the bread. There's nothing magic in the juice. 
And let me just press in just for a moment just to ask you, do you know him? Are you a cultural Christian or a congregational Christian that you just really believe? That I just love the idea of Christianity and what makes me a Christian is something cultural. I was born into a Christian home or, or something happened to me or I just kind of believe in God or maybe you're a congregational Christian. You go, you know what, for me, it's church membership. I belong to a certain church, so because I belong to a church, because I go to a church, that makes me a Christian. I'm telling you, the hardest people to reach, cultural and congregational Christians. Do you have a relationship with Him? Is there evidence in your life that you're a Christ follower? I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm just talking about is there a desire for His Word? Is there a desire to follow Him? Is there a desire to take His Word and apply it to your dating life and to your marriage and to your parenting and to your relationships and to how you see the future? If not, and you'd say, you know what, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a Christian. What a great time for you to accept Christ when you're holding the elements that represent His body and His blood. For the Scripture says this, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night when He was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is just for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So it's a time when we remember back. We remember the cross when He wasn't ashamed of us and He went to the cross. It's a remembrance of when we accepted Him and as a result of that, our life began to change and there's this transformation that began to happen. It's just a time that we just remember just meeting Him and what that's done for us. Father, we thank You. We just thank You for the bread that we hold in our hands that represents Your body that was given for us, that was sacrificed for us, that You who knew no sin became sin for us. And Father, as a result of that, may we just live for you. And may we know that we know that we know that we have a relationship with you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take with me, please? The juice simply rep represents the blood of Christ. Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. That's why here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we'll never quit talking about the blood of Christ. We'll never quit singing about the blood. Because it's through the blood that was sprinkled on the cross, that is continually sprinkled over our hearts, that brings forgiveness. It's through His blood that we're totally and we're completely forgiven. Scripture says this, it says in the same way, also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, the communion is not only a backwards look, but it's, it's a forward look. It's beyond all comparison that when we're in heaven with him, We'll see him face to face and we'll be gathered with other believers. And what the scripture says, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond all comparison. Father, we just thank you for your blood. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin. We thank you that we don't have to walk in the junk and the stuff of our past. But we can walk in freedom 
where we're completely loved, totally forgiven, and that in you we are perfect and we are forgiven and we have the righteousness of Christ and so we have direct access to you. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you that we can enter into this time as a church family for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please? you bow your heads with me and close your eyes one last time let me just ask you what is God saying to your result of his word what is he saying to your result of this message what is your next step every one of us has a next step what is your next step is it to press into him harder and deeper to follow him and just be obedient to him and we'll just watch what he does in your life Maybe this morning you say, you know what, I, I'm just carrying a burden. I just have a prayer request. I need someone to pray for me. Well, we want to pray for you. You're in a great place. So if you need prayer, in just a few moments after I pray, we're going to stand. And we won't be in this moment long. This isn't really the close of our service. It just happens for a time when we minister one to another. And so if you need prayer for any of your life, whether it's a financial issue, a relational issue, medical issue, maybe you want to pray for someone else, maybe you want to have a spiritual conversation and tell something about a decision that you've made, then you can have those conversations as well. So after I pray, if you're carrying a burden, you need prayer for any area of your life, as we stand up after I pray, you come. Father, we thank you. Father, we just thank you that we are we're your children. And Father, we thank you that you not only hear our prayers, but you respond to our prayers. And so, Father, we just ask you to just draw this church closer to you and that people would just respond to you and people would be ministered to and people would know they just come into your presence and they found encouragement and they found support and they've been strengthened. Father, we love you. We cannot wait to see what you're going to do for we ask these things in Jesus' name.